0: What's happening to everybody? This is the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast, and I am, as always, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenen, and today's topic came From an article I read on New Year's Eve, and I I have no idea why this article came out on New Year's Eve. Normally that's like when people try to hide things, like legislatures uh, pass bills. They don't want anyone to see bloggers write blog posts. They don't want anyone to read. But I was somehow reading a blog post on New Year's Eve. And after reading it, I thought, oh man, I got to talk about this, this topic. The blog post was entitled Deconstruction, Destruction, and faith, and the blogger that wrote this is Barnabas Piper, who has been on this podcast before. And so, first of all, I just have to, because we're Midwesterners, and you're a displaced Midwesterner, just ask, have to ask how the weather is where you are.
1: Yeah, I'll try not to answer for thirty straight minutes, like like a true Midwesterner. It's it's rainy and cold, just like Nashville is between January and March every year. It's like living in London for three months.
0: How is it living in Nashville?
1: I love living in Nashville and being displaced from the Midwest gives me a great sense of superiority because anytime the temperature drops below about 50 and people here start to gripe and moan about how cold it is, I get to act like I'm way tougher than they are.
0: And you get to act like you're a better driver than they are. Oh, That's not acting.
1: I'm 100% a better driver (laughs) than than Southerners who can't handle any precipitation at all.
0: So the last time you were on the podcast, I don't think I did this yet, uh, but what I've been doing lately is giving people three uh, relatively well-known or at least publicly available biographical details about somebody and then letting them give us uh, three things that we may not know. And so the three things I've got for you, because honestly, I can't think of anything that is really makes you well known. So I just I did my best. Uh, yeah, but that's the first good. Is I that, appreciate the effort. The first is that you are the co host of my second favorite podcast, The Happy Rant. And by the way, this is not my favorite podcast. Okay. Mine is not and yours is not either. My favorite podcast is Coverville, which is all cover music. And okay. just because I, I've listened I thought to- you were
1: going to say the Marcel podcast. I thought that was oh, your no. favorite. Okay. No,
0: we, we could have that conversation at another day. But okay. anyway, that first of all, Happy Rant podcast and second biographical detail, you have a book of the same name coming out in August, The Happy Rant, which I'm excited to read and love to talk about, but again, not today. And the third thing is that you are assistant pastor at a church in Nashville. And I just want to know, what does it mean to be an assistant pastor?
1: It means that... I'm just one of the pastors. I'm the pastor for our groups and community ministry. We have sort of a Presbyterian structure, which means that every title is overly thought through. And so I'm not an associate pastor because that's the pastor who's the next senior pastor. So there's senior pastor, there's executive pastor, there's associate pastor, which we don't currently have. And then there's assistant pastor, which is basically what a pastor at most churches is who's overseeing some area of ministry. So So, I'm So
0: could you have multiple assistant pastors?
1: We do have multiple assistant pastors. Yeah. Yeah. So not, and, in, in true the office fashion, this is not assistant to the pastor. That's a different job. So this is, <laughs> yeah, I am the assistant regional manager, not the assistant to the regional
0: manager. Noted. Okay. So give us three biographical details people may not know about you.
1: I'll go with an embarrassing one first. I was talked into dressing up to go to a movie theater on opening night of the first Lord of the Rings movie when I was in college. So And
0: and by talked into it, does that mean that nobody else was dressed up when you got there? No,
1: no, no. I mean, like there was a group doing this and I was not inclined to do, like I wanted to go see the movie and they're like, we need one more tall person to dress up as as a wizard. So (laughs) I had a beard on that looked a lot like your beard. This being an audio medium, It's, it's long, it's white, it's luxurious. I had a fake beard that looked a lot like that. And yeah, I... So that was, that's one, that's one fact we could probably go on about that, but since it's embarrassing, yeah, well, I'd rather not.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I will say that I was once talked into dressing up in a Halloween costume for church on Halloween. Someone convinced me that a bunch of people were going to wear costumes and I was the only one. And that has and that's, and that's embarrassing layers as well. Yeah. That's, yeah.
1: that's how trust is broken and trauma <laughs> happens. Yeah. That's, it's good. But let's see a second. This is, this is more innocuous. I, I have been a Minnesota sports fan since, as long as I can remember, I grew up about four or five blocks from the Metrodome, which is now U S bank stadium where the Vikings played the twins used to play. So, uh, if I come across a little bit jaded and cynical, it's because I just, that's what happens when you have your heart broken every year of your life for, for your entire life.
0: So do you think you're going to get Jim Harbaugh as your next head coach?
1: No, they've already they've already moved on and hired, or they they have a plan in place to hire O'Connell, the Rams' offensive coordinator. Which I, w- I had very mixed feelings about the Harbaugh thing because I think he's he's obviously a great winning coach, and he's absolutely insane, and I, burns every bridge he ever crosses. So I'm kind of glad we didn't go that route.
0: Well, it'll be interesting too. This is releasing in probably a week and a half from when we're recording it. So who knows? Jim Harbaugh might be somewhere else by that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, he's, he's right now he's verbally very committed to Michigan right up until somebody cuts him a big check somewhere else. I'm sure.
0: I mean, one of the worst things that could happen for Spartan football is that Jim Harbaugh is no longer at Michigan because that has been a joy (laughs) for us. Uh, So, okay. Your third, your third third biographical detail.
1: As of... About two weeks ago, I now have two teenage daughters. So I'm bo- both of my children are teenagers. So I'm full-fledged father of teenage daughters, which is it's a wonderful adventure. Some days are full of the unexpected and the difficult, but most of the time it's awesome.
0: Okay, so let's dive into this this topic at hand. So you write this article back in December. Again, very strange that you released it on uh, New Year's Eve. I, I, do you want
1: to know why I released it on New Year's Eve? I do. Eve?
0: I really, really do.
1: Okay, it was the opposite of strategy. It was because the week between Christmas and New Year's is about the only week out of the year when things slow down enough for me to get my fragmented thoughts put together. So I've been kind of having conversations around deconstruction, jotting down notes as I encountered different things, observed different things. And this that was the first chance in like six months to go, okay, I have a spare just sort of focused hour To to put this to put this down. And then I'm impatient. So once I write it, I'm just gonna post it. And so I did. I didn't I didn't sit around on it and wait. You know, what is the optimal time? I guess it's like Tuesdays at 8 37 a.m. or whatever. I don't know. I just hit post. So no strategy there.
0: Well, I will say it was really good. I was in Chicago with my family just celebrating New Year's Eve. And I was just dinking around on my phone and stopped and read the article and thought this was really. Well thought through. So, I mean, just your, even your opening line in the article was deconstruction has become one of those terms that is equal parts boogeyman, cliche, badge of honor, and theological shiny object. Some decry it with spite, some claim it as something akin to their identity, and some observe it with attempted neutrality. And that was enough to hook me in. I was ready to to text you already at that point and say, hey, we should talk about this. But I do think that... Deconstruction is something that I don't think that word means what you think it means.
1: Well, does anybody know what they think it means? Does anybody know what it means? That's I think part part of where I opened in that was just saying we can't have any productive conversations about this until we have an agreed upon definition. And people use it in so many different ways. That that's almost impossible because yeah, in certain contexts, you say deconstruction, people think apostasy, you know, that's somebody who has utterly burned their faith to the ground, they've abandoned Christianity. And then in other instances, it's this, it's a very genuine pulling apart of a, of a church tradition, say coming, think, think about Think about all of the stuff that's come out in the Southern Baptist Convention in the last couple of years, the Catholic Church over the past couple of decades, and just church tragedies. As people grew up in that, and they now looking back, and they're going, where am I really? And so they begin to deconstruct that in a very thoughtful process. That's not an abandonment of the faith. That's a questioning of trust, of authority, of traditions versus the gospel. There's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into that. So what version of deconstruction are we talking about? it's a pretty important thing to understand before you can move on to, is this good? Is this bad? How do we help people? I mean, I've been asked, how do you help somebody who's deconstructing? I'm like, I don't even know what that sentence means because I I need some definitions. uh,
0: It's like talking about critical race theory, but that'll be a conversation (laughs) every day. Nobody knows what it means, but they all want to talk about it. But so I I remember talking uh, with a woman about people that she knew that were deconstructing. And I started to talk about what deconstruction was. And she's like, well, actually, that's not actually what deconstruction is. It's actually a literary term. So anybody from an English background mm-hmm. is going to look at it differently than somebody's coming from, you know, not sociological background or a theological background. And, yeah, or
1: I mean, uh, and then same thing in philosophy. There's a technical philosophical deconstructing. What are the pieces of an argument? The pieces of a mindset. The pieces of a worldview. And it's yeah. So there's there's that aspect as well. And yeah. So you really need to be on the same page. And, it, you know, it doesn't help when you get these, you get these public figures, you know, many Christian musicians who, you know, think like Michael Gungor or whatever, you get Josh Harris. And I'm not throwing these guys out there to throw them under the bus, but rather the, the word deconstruction gets attached to their public, you know, departure from Christianity. And then you get deconstruction of people who are leaving a denomination. It gets attached to like Beth Moore. Well, those could not be more different roads that people are walking. And it's the same word. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of confusion around it.
0: So do you think it's even worth trying to come to a common definition of this word? Or is it like one of those things that it's going to be so hard to even define and find a common definition that it's not worth the energy?
1: I don't think it's worth trying to come to a common definition. I think it's worth explaining how you're using the term in any given context. So if you were going to teach a seminar in your church on faith and doubt, and you wanted to talk about deconstruction, just define it really clearly and then come back to that definition. Remember, this is how we're using this term. So if you're using it to be somebody who is abandoning the faith, which I think that's a valid definition, if you're clear, you just want to make sure that those people who are leaving behind a church tradition don't feel targeted you're not targeting them as sinners. You're saying it's bad to abandon your faith. It's not bad to reconsider church tradition and and so forth. It's going to go the way of woke if we're not careful. And we're going to have people writing books about how, if you are in this camp, you're a heretic and like, this is utterly unhelpful. We're just slinging words like stones at this point. So I think it's helpful to use the word with a clear definition in a particular context. I don't think there's any hope of finding a common definition of this and and kind of uh, let's all agree. Like when when was the last time we all agreed on anything?
0: So as you were talking, I was thinking most of what you were describing was people looking in on someone, a person or a group that seems to be deconstructing or says Mm -hmm. that they're deconstructing. So let's take the observer off the table for a second. Yeah. Do you think there is a common definition amongst those who are saying that they're deconstructing?
1: I don't think so because, because there's still, I think there's still the kind of two different paths that I described and one can lead to the other. You know, you can start by deconstructing your religious background. You know, I grew up conservative and Methodist. My parents were legalists and you start to deconstruct that. And then you end up walking away from a Christian faith. But, the fact is, I don't, I mean, I think I said this in the article, you can't really deconstruct a genuine faith in Christ. A living miracle is not a thing that can be deconstructed. You can deconstruct philosophies and language and societies and anything that is a, a structure. Faith is not a structure. It is a gift of God breathed into a soul. I mean, that's that's not a thing that can be deconstructed. So I don't think there's a common definition, even amongst those groups, because they're they're doing different things. And it requires an enormous amount of self-awareness to be able to describe what you are doing in any given time. I think most people who are deconstructing, either walking away from the faith or figuring out what genuine Christianity looks like in spite of a religious background, I don't know that either of them are thinking that clearly about this is a process I am working through as much as they're just living their life trying to take the next step towards what, what they perceive as truth.
0: Mm, that's really good. I, I was thinking about how, from a literary sense, the idea of deconstruction is that there are some concepts that are so big that language sort of fails us. Mm-hmm. And you have to deconstruct the layers and layers and layers that are around a concept to get to the concept itself.
1: like literary systematic theology.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like we've got systematic theology books that are five times the length of of Scripture. Yeah, And so in that sense, deconstruction is good and helpful if someone is saying, listen, I'm trying to get at what really is the truth, and sometimes some of the language has obscured that.
1: But again, there's an academic detachment there. And I don't mean detachment as a bad thing, but just a I think I use the term neutral observer, that, that idea of analysis versus experience people who are experiencing deconstruction, probably not thinking about, I am analytically seeking to break down the component parts of this huge reality so that I can understand it better. That's, that's the thing that on the outside, you have the luxury of doing. So basically like what we're doing is deconstructing deconstruction because we have the the luxury of being analytical observers of somebody else's experience or somebody else's language.
0: So let's, let's move it from the analytical for a second. As a pastor who works with groups and, and people who are probably all over in different places, you probably had similar experiences that I've had with people who would say they're deconstructing. And, and in a sense, my experience has been most of those people they are just trying to figure out what is truth. Yeah, I th- I, that's, that's it. And I think that, you know, taking the whole the academic piece away, I think as followers of Jesus, we just need to point to him and say, there's your truth. Yep, absolutely. And not get so wrapped up and worried about the language. And, yeah. and if someone comes in and says, I'm deconstructing, I can say to them, man, I'm really excited for you because you're pursuing truth. Let's try to mm-hmm. find truth together in community.
1: Yeah. And the term deconstruction does not scare me at all. If somebody comes in and they're like, I'm kind of in a deconstruction phase or whatever, which is, you know, it's it's usually that kind of, it's, it's less like I'm intentionally doing this and more like, this is a thing I'm going through. That just sounds, yeah, it's exactly what you just said. It's, I have questions. I'm not sure what I believe. I'm not sure how to, to know how to believe. So there's sort of a, to use a big word, kind of an epistemology, like, I don't know how, how I know what I know. I was handed a bunch of stuff. And to me, I'm like, that's, that's every kid who grew up in the church. At some point, if we're honest, we have to decide how do we know that what we were handed is what we want to stake our life on. And the only answer is, have you encountered the, the real Jesus and so, yeah, de- deconstruction is, is not the boogeyman that it's made out to be. It's not destroying the church. It's just a label on stuff that people have been sorting through f- for thousands of years, quite literally.
0: I was talking with one of the founding pastors of our church who was part of the church plant team back in 1977, and he was part of the Jesus movement. You know, so hippies on a school bus, traveling around the country, and he made a, just an, a kind of a throwaway comment when we were talking. He's 70 years old now. And he said, this just feels like the Jesus movement. It is a bunch of young people looking at the established church and saying, listen, you guys are kind of missing the core of Christianity, and you've added a whole bunch of crap on top of it. And so now we want to take the crap off and really get back to who Jesus really is. And I thought, that's that's the Reformation, right? That is the Jesus movement. That is this deconstruction movement. If we have the eyes to see it for what it is.
1: I agree with the heart of what you said. And I think I even wrote something in there. Like the reformation was a deconstruction of sorts. The first and second great awakenings were deconstructions of sorts. But the thing that those had that what, what we were, I think we're kind of in a, I don't know if it's tipping point is the right phrase, but we're kind of hanging in the balance right now is. The Jesus movement, the Reformation, the Great Awakenings, these different things that were that were revivals of sorts, they were coming back to the heart of Scripture. Where we are as an American church is that people are abandoning the heart of Scripture often because it's so associated with pain, dishonesty, hypocrisy. And so I think the Jesus movement was looking for they were looking for a genuine Jesus, a lot of people who are going through deconstruction are moving further and further away from Jesus because Jesus is associated with the hypocrites that they want nothing to do with the people who have hurt them, the people in the power structures who are obscuring pain and hurt and sexual abuse and whatever else. If this is going to be a Jesus movement kind of thing, which the Holy spirit can do that. There has to be places where deconstructing Christians can go where it was exactly what you said, where they are welcomed with open arms and said, yeah, bring your questions and, and let's go discover Jesus. Not, you can't ask that, that's not safe. You know, it, There has to be basically a, a Christ-centered soft landing spot.
0: Do you think that the church in America has the ability to be that now or not?
1: I think churches in America do. I don't know what the church in America is at this point. And I, I don't mean that cynically as much as, I mean, it. it's like whatever it was six years ago, the term evangelical just jumped the shark completely. And I mean, it was, probably, it was probably jumping for a long time, but like all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, well, this is now a political term, not a statement of what we believe Which, about it, God it, and the
0: Bible. Think about how sad that is because of the literal definition of the word evangelical. Oh, it's bringer of good news. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and the, you know,
1: if you want to look at the historic, like what are the core convictions of an evangelical? It's built around conversion and evangelism and building things on the word of God. Like this is decidedly not political. Anyway, let's assume that the bulk of people listening to this are pretty involved in their local church, pastors, small group leaders, teachers your church listener can be this kind of place. And also, it's not your responsibility to change the church. That's God's d- domain. You get to be responsible for influencing your church. So, you know, at Emanuel, the church where I serve, it is a weekly conversation about the culture of the church reflecting the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Is this a place where sinners and sufferers and questioners can show up and feel embraced, welcomed, and pointed to Jesus. Otherwise it's just therapy. Like if you want to go in and speak freely and be the, you know, get get everything off your chest. And there's no, let's look to Jesus. You're just a therapy group. You're not a church. We focus on this. This is this, the heart of our ministry in many ways. And so yeah, churches can do this. Absolutely. And I'm aware of many that are, that are, that are working. Really faithfully and diligently to be the kind of church where a deconstructor can show up and find a home.
0: Well, one of the things I really liked in your article was you used a phrase, we need to be ready to join people in their pain. I think you said something like that. And I think that's the heart of what it means to love one another, to love the world, is just to enter into their pain, to mourn with those who mourn. And mourning with someone who's mourning it means coming alongside someone who's legitimately questioning and searching and to, and to search with them and to recognize, yeah, the church has burned you. The local church has hurt a lot of people. People have been legitimately burned, legitimately abused. I mean, going back to the Mars Hill podcast that you mentioned yeah. earlier, the two things that struck me big time listening to that is, one, people have been legitimately hurt by the church. And then yeah. the second was, man, I see ugly parts of me in that. Yeah, And so I think church is going and saying, yeah, we screwed this thing up. We didn't do this right. We hurt people. And to acknowledge that, to repent of that, and then to enter into people's pain with them and not ostracize them because they're deconstructing.
1: Yeah. One of the most productive things to come out of that for me and for some of the people who I serve with were the conversations of that's a pitfall that we could, you know, we could slip that direction if we're not careful ego is ego is always waiting to to catch us and how do we instead be the kind of church that is gentle and welcoming and merciful and kind and comes alongside the people in pain instead of shutting it down so not using that as the backdrop or like we're not going to be that kind of church as much as just it's it was a prompt towards what is the heart of Jesus and and how do we reflect that And we have people come into our church often who are coming out of, if not hurt, at least exhaustion. I think exhaustion might be more prominent Mm -hmm. than hurt Mm -hmm. in the conservative church. Exhaustion at legalism, exhaustion at trying to like just the caught up in all the debates, exhaustion. And by I say debates, I mean like everything from masks to complementarianism to Calvinism to whatever, whatever people's hobby horse issue is. And they show up weary, and it, church has not been a place of refreshing in the Lord for them. It's okay, how do we provide a place where they can be refreshed, they can breathe easy, they can be healing? And I, I think that's probably the more widespread version of deconstruction. It's not nearly as public, it's not nearly as marketable, but there's just people who are beaten down by their church experience, and it's causing them to, to ask questions for the first time. Is this for me? Where do I go next? Is God really in my corner? Those kinds of things.
0: You know, and I think the pandemic probably accelerated the inevitable as it did in so many other arenas. Because I think it was uh, David French who wrote the an article that said we have, you know, uh, different rings of relationships. And the middle ring is the people that were close enough to us to be intimate, but they're not our core people. And that it was, for all of us, a diverse group of people. We always yeah. had these diverse people. And then the pandemic caused that to empty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, so it filled with something. And I think it was David French that said it filled with, I can't, I can't remember his exact term, but he said it kind of filled with the the. you are either with us or you are not with us people. And so yeah. what happened is we all went online. We took, I think they said, an average of 300 hours in 2020 that we used to spend with people, we transitioned that to online and social media. Three hundred hours, and what happened is then social media became that echo chamber. So if you were struggling, now all you saw were people who were struggling. Yeah. If you were really pissed off at the at the government, all you saw were people who were pissed off at the government, and so it accelerated a lot of things. Yeah. But it it, it at its core accelerated our loneliness, mm-hmm. and it accelerated the questions that we have that we now think everybody's having the same one we are. Yeah. And so in this deconstruction space, if I was doubting, now I think everyone's doubting.
1: Earlier this morning, I was having a conversation with Ted Kluck, who I co-host The Happy Run with, and we were talking about that same effect on pastors. So the idea of, you know, pastoring is so hard and pastoral burnout. And I think, you know, a huge portion of that is that social media. When you go online and you're, you're having a bad Monday as a pastor, because, you know, a fair number of Mondays. It's called
0: are, Monday. Yeah. It, yeah. It,
1: everybody has a tired Monday. You come off the weekend, the last thing you want to do is have a Monday, and here you are. You go online and you see a hundred other pastors you follow talking about how dark and depressed Monday is. It creates a mindset of, oh,
0: mm, this is
1: word. like, instead of going Monday shouldn't be like this, you're now, you're now going, oh, this, this is what Monday is like. And you sort of absorb it. And so, you know, pastors quitting ministry, stepping away from ministry. And this is an off subject, I don't think, because th- that is a deconstructive mindset, you know, as opposed to getting on, you know, texting or getting on the phone with pastors, you actually know who are like, yeah, it's a bad Monday. And then I went for a jog and I drank some coffee and I read my Bible and like, God is good. And, My wife loves me and and we're going to be fine. And all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, Monday, not, not the best, but also just Monday. And, and we, yeah, we lost that. We lost that sense of normalcy as well as that landing place. So the deconstructive kinds of questions became the governor for us, us as, as pastors, us as the church. And so much of that just sort of normalcy that kept us stable was just gone.
0: Yeah, and we've been working as a church through a series going through the Apostles' Creed and really struck when we got to the section on the communion of the saints. Uh And just thinking through the idea that the communion of the saints, the community of people that are together doing life and fellowshipping and with one another are necessarily diverse not just necessarily diverse the way we think about it in our culture, but diversity of thought, diversity of life experience, diversity of pain, diversity, of just all of those things. The community of saints brings all those people together in the church yeah. and says, we together are the body of Christ. We together are his bride. We together are the temple. We together, there's all these together analogies. We are all together, this, this thing. And I think that again during COVID we were so echo chambery that when we got to church a we ex- we run into someone who's different than us, instead of celebrating, oh I can mourn with this person who's mourning, I can <laughs> deconstruct with this person who's deconstructing, yeah. I can I can celebrate with this person who's celebrating, we think oh this is so weird why are they like that?
1: And it's because it's so dehumanizing because when you look at somebody is. else you see labels. You see, nothing about the essence of who that person is or what they're going through. We've lost the ability to mourn with those who mourn or rejoice with those who rejoice because they voted for X and I voted for Y because mm-hmm. they're wearing a mask in church and I steadfastly refuse.
0: How stupid. Yeah. Did you and see petty that? Stetzer, is that? Stetzer, Stetzer calls it the great sort which I think is a really good way of saying it. He said, in the early 1900s, people chose a church based on denomination. You know, I went to the Methodist church, so I moved to another town, go to another Methodist church. And when that Methodist church splits, we now have the first Methodist church and the other one. Then in the 80s, we started selecting churches on style. That was the necessary movement off of the Jesus people, as we started selecting churches on style. Yeah. And that set us up so that post pandemic we're selecting churches based on sociopolitical opinions. and he's calling it the third great sort of the last century and a half.
1: So bringing it back around, you know what can 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 the church do this? You know, welcome people. No, churches can know. And you can be a church where if somebody comes in with or without mask, with or without a maga hat, whatever, Mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, walking with people in their experience so far supersedes those things that if we cannot look past that, we have some work to do with the Lord in our own hearts. If we look at somebody else and we resent them because of their ex-opinion on politics, masks, vaccines, all of the things that make everybody want to fight, we've lost the plot. We have lost the plot of the gospel completely because none of those things, they're not even secondary issues. They're not no. even church issues. <laughs> no. Like, that's not a moral, it's it's not a moral issue, except in the sense of un, an understanding of loving our neighbors. That's it. Right.
0: Yeah. It, it's funny that we've drifted into politics a little bit, but when you were talking, it made me think that the Sunday after every single presidential election, historically speaking at our church, we have had to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Mm-hmm because our church has been so decidedly apolitical that we have people that stumble in that assume everybody, you know, assumes everybody agrees with them, and then they get there and they realize that they don't.
1: We have drifted into politics, but politics are a massive, like, accelerant on the deconstruction going on in church. The affiliation with political parties by churches, pastors, denominations, the infighting, I mean, This conversation can't be had without touching on politics because people who are deconstructing did not just get there because they woke up one morning and thought, I have some questions. They got there because a deeply held set of convictions or beliefs was knocked off kilter by a major cataclysmic thing. Abuse, immorality, hypocrisy, political shifts, you know, all the stuff that COVID stirred up. So yeah, I don't know that we can have this conversation without at least addressing that that is the elephant who's storming around the room, just knocking people over and stomping on them.
0: One final question, and then we should probably wrap up. Last time you were on here, you were on here talking about doubt. <laughs> Do you think that there is connective tissue between doubt and deconstruction, or are they just wildly different things?
1: No, I think I think they are woven tightly together. I think the reason that people are deconstructing in whichever version is because questions have been stirred up. One of the things I say in the book, in my book, Help My Own Belief, is that all of us doubt, and it comes from different places. There are intellectual doubters. That's the sort of analytical thing we we're talking about, where there's just sort of a posing of questions and wrestling with these, but that can become experiential. Your, your analytical doubts can end up keeping you awake at night. They can end up making you question like the very kind of core of your existence. Most doubts come from suffering of some kind or hurt in some way. How could a good God let this happen? How can I trust somebody who does or says X? Those kinds of things. And so, yeah, deconstruction is the is the activity of doubting, really. It's this Questions and doubts were stirred up. Now I'm beginning to process through those. Are we processing towards a greater faith in Christ, or are we processing right out of the faith? is kind of the, the pressing question. So I don't I don't think they're different at all. I just had, I, had a, I think it was a conversation with my wife earlier and I, and I said, I didn't realize I, was, I think I, I was writing about deconstruction seven years ago or whenever I wrote that book, and now it has a name and now it has kind of a cultural cachet to it. I just thought I was writing about questions that didn't feel welcome in the church or I didn't know what to do with these questions. But I, I think it's the same thing.
0: And I think it'd be ideal for this podcast not to button it up, but just to leave it <laughs> hanging right here. So that's what I'm going to do. So yeah. thanks for being on, Barnabas. Appreciate you a ton.
1: Yeah, so glad to be on. I really appreciate it.